This episode is brought to you by Dung Beetle Sandwiches. They're on a roll. <laughs> what? Oh. <laughs> this is genuine laughter. That was horrible. This is Wild Green Streams for Ecological Fiends. I'm Rhett. And I'm Curtis. And our guests today are Ned Sursat Williams and Bertie Terilliams, directors of the Crab Museum in Margate, England. But first, our field correspondent Iona Hennessy spent some time hanging out with the locals in St. Mark's National Wildlife Refuge on the Florida Gulf Coast. Over to you, Iona. Coming to you live, my name's Iona Hennessy, and we're joined by a crab. Would you like to introduce yourself, please? Great, so it's a wonderful rainy day out here on the St. Mark's, and so uh, I just wanted to let you know what you thought of the change of pace with this weather. Yeah, I'm sure you get all kinds of weather out here on the coast. We're actually right next to the lighthouse, and all sorts of things have happened here, um, lots of hurricanes and such. What do you think about uh, climate change? I see, and so actually just across the way, we saw Pinky the Flamingo, and everyone's been talking about Pinky, but no one's been talking about you. What do you have to say about the the difference in media coverage large megafauna gets versus you invertebrates, which are arguably just as, if not more so, important to this ecosystem? All right, and what's it like hanging out with all your friends every day? I saw many of you scuttling around in the sand, so thanks for taking the time to talk to me today. All right, thanks so much for your time. I'm sure you've got many important tunnels to dig, so I'll let you go. All right, back to you, Rhett and Curtis. Fascinating. Thanks, Iona. Next up, it's Europe's only museum dedicated to the decapod and was created to roll science, humor, and philosophy into a unique and satisfyingly baffling day out. Ned and Bertie, welcome to the pod. Hello. Hi there. Hello. Thanks for having us. So, why crabs? Uh, why, <laughs> why crabs? Um, so, crabs, well... I mean, everybody loves crabs. I'd like to think that everybody loves crabs. Um, I think at least where we are, the museum is in Margate, which is like a coastal town in England, in the south of England. And we grew up in Margate and we grew up crabbing. And us, like I think many British children, have an intimate relationship with crabs. And that crabs in many ways can be a kind of gateway animal. Crabs can be, you can start with crabs, which are an easily accessible animal just on our coastline. And you can go from crabs and go out and then you can start talking about rocks and algae and all sorts of things. Yeah, exactly. With with the sufficient, if, yeah, if you want to do what we did, <laughs> which we would recommend <laughs> because it's fun, um, but taking something quite sort of small, like a crab, but we joke it could have also been a slug. We could have opened a worm museum. We could have opened like a daffodil museum. We could have opened really any kind of museum at all. And then you quite quickly go down uh, rabbit holes to use another animal uh, analogy and then you can end up talking about history and colonialism and politics and you can talk about genetics and like physics and you can talk about really anything you want because kind of underpinning the whole museum as a project is that all knowledge is connected to all other forms of knowledge uh, and you can start in one place and end up somewhere radically different really quickly and it all um, becomes crab in the end yeah and everything <laughs> turns into everything turns into a crab in the end yeah exactly so if we start off with crabs We've kind of, you know, uh, then it makes more sense. Really, it yeah. saved everyone some yeah. time. 
Yeah. yeah so so I can I completely relate and understand what uh where you're coming from. I um I grew up in a coastal New England town um in the Boston area and yeah, I can't even remember the first time I was expressed interest in crabs and funny enough the most common ones here are a uh the European green crab because the they made the, their way over as an invasive species in the the plankton in the in the um, ballast water of uh of ships so yeah my my the crab I learned from was an English crab <laughs> so uh but yeah just uh just seeing the coastal <laughs> wildlife um on my beaches the 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 European green crabs the native rock crabs and the uh native hermit crabs and not true crabs but horseshoe crabs um just expanded my love of uh the ocean and natural world and wanting to just learn about the entire history and prehistory of our planet so yeah it's a it's a cool animal as a uh a stepping stone and like you were saying about it museum could have been about everything we talked to a uh a firefly expert um a few years ago and she was talking about uh sort of insects as a gateway uh to nature how like everyone has access to insects and like everyone in a coastal area um for the most part there might be some areas that have less crustaceans have have crabs so it's like like you said sort of this universal um exposure at least to people in coastal areas or people with freshwater crabs to jumping into the natural world through something very familiar a crab can also be a sort of democratizing force in terms of access to thinking about the natural world because for that very same reason not, not everybody can afford to go on safaris or even go to zoos but pretty much everywhere and at least in our local area can go to the beach and we're very lucky with our coastal environments so in that sense it's kind of it's a bit of a balancer, the crab. And another angle of that is that the ocean seems so alien to us land creatures. There, there are just things down there that I don't think I anyway would have ever predicted existed if I didn't, you know, know from <laughs> from humans exploring down there. Um, and crabs, in a lot of ways, seem more like they're of the ocean than of land, and they just happen to cross paths with us. So they give us a nice little uh, taste of of what's out there. Mm -hmm. And I think another another uh, that's connected to all those things about sort of learning that you're as a child interested in science and all those things, but also going back to your question of why crabs is just because they look cool as well. And there is something cool about them and you can learn about their the morphologies and their evolution of them and all of this kind of stuff. And science does a really good job of explaining all of those things, but it doesn't do a good job of explaining why we just think things look cool sometimes. And yeah. crabs do just look cool. Like they're just spiky and they're weird and some of them are weird colours and they do strange things and, and they just kind of look at you like, what the hell do you want, you know? And, so they're, and they're people, cool things. people have always been obsessed with crabs as well. Like we've got in, in the museum, we've got a, a coin from the Kingdom of Acragas, which is this uh, sort of Phoenician city-state from like 2,500 years ago. And they're mad about, mad about crabs. And they've got, <laughs> they emblazoned crabs on their coins. Crabs, I mean, for them, it's been... It's being thought of that the crab is a symbol of their dominion over land and sea, their kind of militaristic mm -hmm. like trading city state, whatever. But the fact that humans are mad into crabs and always have been mad into crabs, I think is testament to just how cool as heck they are. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. That's an official museum line that we use on lots of things, is that they're just cool as heck. <laughs> so tell us about the history of the museum. I suppose it's kind of a baby of COVID, really, in, in many respects, because we 
I've always wanted to make a space for ideas, but we were never really sure what form that space would take. And then when the pandemic came, we were kind of, we're not going to become old people and regret trying to open a museum. And a museum is quite a good and flexible uh, vehicle that you can attach lots of ideas and roll lots of things into. There's no, there is of course a definition of a museum. As... Oh, yeah. Crucially, there's no legal definition. Of <laughs> so it's not like, it's not like champagne has to be made in a champagne region. You can just, mm -hmm. you can have a museum in your garage or your cupboard or, or you can have an imaginary museum. It doesn't need to like, no one's going to, the museum police aren't going to come around and, and tell you off for making some sort of stupid museum, uh, but... which is helpful because that hasn't happened to us yet. Um, <laughs> But yeah, we did it as, yeah, we're approaching a kind of a, a year now. So we've been open for a year, but it was, yeah, it was when COVID happened and it was all in lockdown. It was like, okay, well, we either give up on this dream or we like double down on it, basically. And, and we so, doubled down so on we it. We doubled down on quite it. Quite a big way. Yeah, yeah. So how'd you go about making it? Uh, well, so the, so there are three directors in the, in the company. It's uh, myself, my brother, Bay, and Chase, who can't be with us today. But so Chase is a dab hand at pretty much everything that he puts his hand to but specifically building things. So we built the entire place ourselves. We like re put new ceilings in, put new flooring in, put new walls in, took walls down. So the entire thing is built ourselves. So it's a physical space. Um, but it basically just took ages, took ages and ages and ages um, and lots of sweat and- Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah, it, it was, it was, most of it was, was building work really and it was all really dusty and stuff. But we, we whilst we were doing that, we were kind of, we were just writing things um that might come in handy and then sort of once we kind of had a space that we were ready to put it all into we just had lots of meetings like do we do we include this thing it was like oh no that's too heavy that's not heavy enough okay we'll <laughs> do this but we had we had a few things like there's a couple of jokes in there that were we were like oh do we put this in this is a bit bad like there's a bit in evolution in the evolution section of how crabs evolved it starts off it's like um uh like all animals crabs were put on earth by god only joking and then it starts off and then talks about evolution. We were like, should we include that? Should we include it? And then we did. Uh, and it's fine. And actually, people love that. We had a few bad reviews from a, a vicar who didn't like that, who le left us some bad Google reviews. But we basically just kind of went through, made a big list of things that we wanted to include in it. And we included most of them, really. Uh, and then we, we printed them up on boards. Stuck them, uh, stuck stuck them on the walls. The and then, then that's the museum, really. It's, yeah. yeah, it's like a kind of enormous... I kind of I suppose you could call it an essay or like a it's an enormous mood board basically we just stuck loads of ideas up on the walls got rid of the things that didn't weren't funny enough and then you was, just go through over and over and over again cutting out editing it's a, I, was, it's a, I was reading some of your blog posts so would you say the museum is a similar vibe um the, the museum's a lot more coherent than our social media presence a little bit more no it is considerably it more is coherent. Doing, yeah. so yeah it kind of it tracks uh reasonably a sensible journey through why should you care about crabs through to the evolution of crabs through to the anatomy and then we've got to build a crab station to the life cycle mentioned the the wonderful horseshoe crab not technically a crab but still cool as heck uh then on to biodiversity and then on to our kind of our musings on the truth um so it's a little bit more coherent than our blog posts but it's lots of like sort of humor science humor it's a kind of humor science sandwich yeah and we try and get lots of kind of philosophy in it as well where possible so we, we would we would refer to ourselves as a science museum but we're mm -hmm. kind of kind of stretching it a little bit at points <laughs> and there's a there's a little bit of a i mean it is very pretentious but i'm going to say it anyway 
Um, the ancient Greek translation of a museum is a, a museon, which translates as a place of the muses, so a place of ideas. So sure. kind of, we kind of treat the museum and the conversations that we have with visitors to the museum. And that's kind of, that's where the museum exists is in the conversation that we have with the public about this conversation, why we're, why a museum, why crabs? And then we get to explain that. And then they explain what they think about that and put their own input into it. So it's that conversation is the museum in many respects. So out of out of everything in the museum, uh, be it a, a, a sign, a, a specimen, an artifact, uh, even just a, a work of art, I, um, what would you say is your, your personal favorite thing to uh, to show off or or that you're most proud um, of? So I really like the diorama. Uh, the diorama got a friend of ours who's a, a, an amazing model maker um, and um, she helped build it. But it's the, the diorama is uh, we basically we, we had collected a load of taxidermy crabs and we're like kind of oh, we need to sort of arrange these in some way and show them off the museum. And we're quite limited in space. So we wanted to have all of these crabs in the same exhibit. But that wouldn't make any sense because we had some shallow water crabs, we had some really deep water crabs, we had some kind of ones that would live all in different parts of the ocean and parts and, and on land and in sort of tropical areas that are very different parts to other crabs. So they wouldn't ever exist in a realist in, in a in a setting on Earth. Um, so we felt it would be um, misleading to try and make like a kind of rock pool environment and just stick them in anyway. So instead of that, we made like a little model English village from the 1920s. Uh, and there's like a model tra train track in it. Uh, and then there's a uh, like a, the, the, the village pub. And there's a Horridel crab is the pub landlord drinking a, a pint of foaming nut brown ale. And there's a so it's and then we use that. We use this kind of it's crabbed on time. We set that in 1926 because which is the year of the general strike in Britain. So um, we also included uh, an LMS Hughes train, like a little scale model of it. Um, and that train was nicknamed the Crab. Uh, and it was used to sort of ferry coal and sort of raw materials up and down Britain um, during sort of like the industrial boom. Um, and, uh, and yeah, that was the Crab because it made this kind of scuttling noise as it went along the track. So we've got industrialization in there. Um, we've got some suffragette crabs. Um, we've got a policeman, we've got like a kind of industrial dispute going on in the factory where there's trade unionist crabs which are led by a, a uh, reef crab, uh, a spotted, yeah, a spotted reef, reef crab. crab yeah. um, and then we've got a, it's one of the Kalapa ones, I'm not sure, I think it's a box. It's a Kalapa Kalapa. So a Kalapa Kalapa, box yeah. crab, yeah, who uh, is representing the police force attacking the trade unionists um, and being uh, <laughs> abetted by a, a fascist moon crab, which is from the British Union of Fascists, which is like a proto uh proto-fascist group in british history that is really not spoken about nowadays um but yeah so we tried to kind of paint there's sort of good history and bad history so we've got suffragettes and pub landlords drinking pints on one playing, side playing cricket the coconut crab with its uh cricket pads on yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then on the other side of the train tracks <laughs> on the other side of the train tracks you've got trade unionist crabs like in running street battles with uh police and fascist paramilitaries Basically. So we thought that was a more faithful representation of crab biodiversity <laughs> than just sticking them all in one pot together. <laughs> Can I just say I love the I love the logic of it doesn't make sense to have all these crabs in the same environment, like same same ecological environment. So let's stick them in a, a British town with accurate depictions 
of the the socio-economical political happenings of that decade through the use of crabs <laughs> but but like you said using their using aspects of their morphology to sort of represent these uh these archetypes of uh of of what was going on at the time on the human side i just love that because i nothing's more dangerous in science than like a half truth or a misleading diagram or a misleading um concept like like you said if you were to to put them all together people would be like oh if i go outside this uh, this is a beach setting if i go to the beach i might see, in in england i might see a coconut crab but if you make it fantastical and absurd people are going to be like coconut crabs are really cool and i know for a fact they don't play cricket but i want <laughs> to learn more about them yeah exactly and i think there's there's nothing really more fictional than the english like imaginary of its own history mm. and i think like by doing that as you say by making it so ridiculous you end up opening up a space for people to then ask questions about things and i think that's also the key by by removing certainty you allow for people you allow the space in which people can come and ask their own questions yeah and then and people then also start being a bit more critical of some of the other exhibits as well and and you know to reassure everyone like 90 plus percent of the material in the museum is true <laughs> and it is based <laughs> on science <laughs> but we did sneak in some some untruths um which we always which we always tell people you know which ones are kind of at the end and but we try and encourage people to work out what what is scientific fact and what is our opinion and what could be us trying to mislead you for a joke or what mm. is, you know, what's whatever. Just try and keep you on your toes because museums traditionally are a kind of one way thing. You go to a museum, the museum just tells you stuff and then you leave. Um, and we wanted it to be a bit more of a kind of a two way thing that they could pull us up on things that we've got wrong. We could then trick them and then have a conversation with them about it. Or we could argue about things or whatever you know it's we want it to be more like that right. sure. yeah, I, I can coming coming from a our our meme group which is using a humorous uh and absurdist media to educate and inspire about the uh ecosystems of the globe um i can definitely see where you're coming from because we've we've had discussions within between rhett and i and the rest of our moderation team of like what's sort of the cutoff of this is clearly a joke or this could potentially mislead and then even on the inverse of this is too absurd to possibly be true and then we google it and we're like there is a tree that shoots out giant exploding spiky seeds <laughs> that's wild i thought this was a, i thought this was a, i thought this, i thought this was a joke um, so yeah finding fi when you're doing a uh, a non-traditional humor-based science education you gotta there's these weird gray areas to navigate that a a quote-unquote traditional uh science museum or natural history museum doesn't have to think about as much um but uh finding finding that balance between making a joke and playing a prank and it becoming um misleading or misinterpreted as anti-science is always 
always a, a battle that is doesn't necessarily have clear distinctions or clear lines. Yeah, I I agree. I think it's a it's a fine line, and I mean, not going to say that forever we're going to get that line right. But I yeah. mean, we've had um, just the other day we had some people who came in from the Natural History Museum, so like the UK's biggest natural uh, history museum, and came in and he was saying like I wish that we had the freedom in our museum to to present science in the way that you are because we're because we're in like completely independent right. we can we can say all these things when I mean, we don't have the collections or the money to to be like huge like they are but we've mm -hmm. got the freedom to basically take the mickey and in that and in that taking of the mickey uh it encourages people to think more critically I guess there's just different roles to our meme page reaches out to a lot of people about nature and in ecology and things like that but we're not trying to be like a david attenborough documentary bbc has a different prerogative than we would as far as humor goes and like the kind of presentation of the facts and i think they both have have their own value to them kind of in a similar way to like a university museum or something would have to, to stick to something they could cite in a paper but that doesn't mean that there isn't a good role for other approaches with different institutions yeah yeah exactly i think so having like the meme pages like memes are just such wonderful ways of teaching people things yeah. like where they're, they're strikingly modern, I suppose, but then in many ways, they're not that modern. Like we sell postcards of our memes in the museum. And then as soon as we printed them onto postcards, we're like, hold on, postcards were memes before memes. Oh, totally. Oh yeah. Like, I, I, like a postcard is just a dank image that you send <laughs> to your bum. I love, I love looking at the really early Christmas cards and, ho and other holiday cards from when like the ability to print postcards and, and in color nonetheless was like this novel thing and it, it hadn't quite been established as an art form so you just have like this absurdism of just like like uh lobsters celebrating christmas or like uh or like frogs fencing and a lot of frogs and like yeah, yeah. or like just like this weird stuff like i was looking uh we for our Patreon, we uh, we make postcards, and I was just like trying to track down um, Halloween vintage Halloween postcards for inspiration, um, and some of them were like horrifying, and like would would not would not pass the Hallmark test today because it's just like just like these grotesque demons, but also just like <laughs> like cute little children with rosy cheeks, and I was just like, what's going on here, because like you like you said like postcards have always been memes um maybe less uh, maybe less so now than when they first started of just like because the art form hadn't been established but uh yeah um i feel like memes and crabs go hand in hand with the the ecology nature meme um outside of of the group even um the the carcinization memes were have really taken over and even if people reading them don't necessarily understand the exact science of convergent evolution and how animals that didn't necessarily look alike uh, millions of years ago will take their own paths and you'll have a shark and a dolphin or a uh, coconut crab and a true crab um they they still get it get an idea of a lot of creatures have become crab shaped and through memes people learned about this i wasn't i was not that familiar with it i knew i knew hermit crabs were different from 
true crabs and horseshoe crabs were were even more distant. But it's amazing the educational component of crab memes or just science memes in general. So uh, do, do you two have a uh, particularly favorite crab meme or crab trend in uh, pop culture? Do I have a particularly favorite crab trend? T to be honest, I think I actually don't see that many crab memes anymore. I think my algorithm has probably said to me, <laughs> uh, no, no you, that's enough. That's enough crabs. <laughs> um so i don't i don't sadly i don't get that many i get quite a lot of worm memes at the moment which i'm, yep. I'm very lots much of, enjoying lots of frogs again that you're yeah. saying that's interesting oh, yeah. early postcards and current memes, loads of frog memes i mean one of the our best sellers uh, in post terms of postcards at the museum is the the frog meme that it's wednesday my dudes but oh sure big crab instead of a frog so right. we just swap swap the frog out with a crab well we didn't even make that oh you made that one okay yeah 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 yeah, that, 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 that's a good one. <laughs> yeah. yeah Customization memes are a big, they're a really big thing. We often get people coming to the museum and you, you can hear them coming up the stairs and, oh yeah, do you know this thing about like everything wanting to be crabs? Like, and these are not necessarily like, these are just members of the public that have got this awareness about crabs. And it's, and it's really cool that they, it's almost as if they have found something online, then seen that there's a real museum about crabs and they're like, oh wow, this is my place. And they like instantly just like beeline towards the bits. And then, and we mentioned, of course, we mentioned convergent evolution. They're like, bam, yes, yeah, I told you, mate. Crab, everything's becoming crab. And it's like that meme has become common parlance. Yeah. Is, and I think, yeah, all you just need to, if it's the whole crab meme trend is, is amazing for us because you just need to see one or two crab memes. And then it's like pushing on an open door once that person comes into the museum because the meme has kind of softened them up. They're like, oh, yeah, crabs, crabs are cool. Like, and it's like loads of people, including myself, get what they think is good or bad from memes a lot of the time. <laughs> yeah. I try not to base like moral decisions on it, obviously, but uh, like if you like a meme and then you see a museum that covers the same thing, that's like, that's, that's great for us. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, we kind of think that memes and, uh, and crowds, but also memes just generally with science are just such a perfect fit anyway, um, because you know, memes function in a kind of similar way to the way that genes do. Um, and that's certainly something that we talk about a little bit at the museum as well, that, um, you know, they're sort of endlessly reproduced. And then the, the, ad the adaptations that are well suited stay, the, you know, the funniest meme survives to re be reproduced and turned into other memes, and the less funny ones sort of die out. Then you um, have your, uh, your Lazarus ta taxon of the, the, uh, memes that have been dead for decades and then are uh or not decades have not been, yet been around decades <laughs> uh memes that have been, uh, been dead since like the uh the mid mid like 2007 or something um and then are ironically resurrected where you see like mm. so, like troll face or rage comics used in a, a new uh <laughs> yeah. a new way and i don't know if it's converted in evolution i don't know if the meme's been hiding off the, the coast of South Africa for decades, waiting for the, <laughs> the local fishermen to inform Western science. Um, but I mean, yeah. it, could also, it could also be that the rage, the rage faces are merely recessive genes in the Wojak. <laughs> I think that's true. Or it's a new adaptive radiation. I saw a, a meme of that where it, it showed a, it was like one of the best explanations of how like, you know, at a large level evolution works that I've ever seen. Um, and it started out with all the rage faces. And then it said, uh, um, it said extinction event. And there were just like two or three left. 
Um, and then, and then it said radiation event and it showed all of the new, you know, Wojak faces that have replaced the rage faces, like you're saying. And, and they all have like the similarities to what was there before put in their correct spots for that, which I thought was just like a perfect way of showing that concept. I'm, I'm sending it to the chat so we can, we can talk about it. Oh yeah. Let's go. <laughs> so we have the, yeah, the extant ecological community. So the memes that were a, a lot. <laughs> The memes that were alive. I've never seen this before. (laughs) Perfectly came up with it. Of course, we have the the extant ecological community. So the memes that were alive in like I want to I want to place it like 2007 to 2011 or so. Uh, So we have like the derp face, Megusta. I can't even remember half of these characters. I can't remember half. Forever alone. I mean, I recognize them. Mass extinction, and all that's left is the I know that feel bro Wojak and the troll face, and then survivors refill vacant environmental niches through speciation. And then you have like the uh, these modern troll faces, um, and the uh, the like becoming uncanny troll face, and then (laughs) all these Wojaks like you've got the depressed Wojak, the uh, the angry gray Wojak with no uh, eyebrows, the sort of smug Wojak, the like angry intellectual lojack with the glasses is always going to point out the uh the the errors but yeah it's 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 a perfect illustration of a mass extinction event through the use of rage faces for anyone listening who's not familiar with the biology an example of this in real life would be the dinosaurs are around and there's just little tiny mammals that kind of live at the you know at the margins of the world and then dinosaurs die out and suddenly we get all these giant mammals and giraffes and rhinos and giant sloths and things that fill in roughly the niches that the dinosaurs used to be in, but now they're absent from. So it's an example of how evolution will kind of take whatever exists now and cram it into these big niches that are out there. Same thing happens in some ways with crabs where something will be similar enough to a crab that it'll get kind of pushed in that direction and become crab shaped over time. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd, agree, I'd agree with that. Yeah, I think it's also why crabs are so diverse as well. I think it was the Cenozoic explosion, possibly. I've probably got that wrong. But that's, yeah, the, the, big, the, big. The Cretaceous crab revolution. Cretaceous crab revolution, that's it. Yeah, I, I, all, learned, all, that, all I, learned, that, I learned that one from PBS Eons. And I was like, that that's a band name right it there. It sounds dope, yeah, it sounds dope. But yeah, and then all these crabs fit all these spaces. It's, it's wonderful. And yeah. You were talking about your staff earlier. Who is Gretel? <laughs> so uh, Gretel, um, Gretel's not quite uh, in service at the moment. Gretel is an AI assistant for the uh, for the museum. Uh, so when Gretel's fully operational, Gretel will help guide visitors around the museum. Gretel will be the guide for our uh, our digital museum that you get our kind of accessibility guide. Uh, Gretel has sadly um, been programmed to feel pain. <laughs> which um, was an error on, on our part as programmers <laughs> we're not very good at programming ai assistance really um so yes yeah, so she will relay crab facts um uh, but also complain in anguish about about the terrible pain that she's in all the time um, <laughs> yeah. that's kind what, of all there is to gretel really <laughs> what, what does gretel stand for Oh, God, I can't even remember oh, now we did, come, we did come up with something but it's been a long time it's been a long time since we um uh, since we actually thought about about her, <laughs> Sorry, <Gretel. laughs> that's all right. We 
we have a nonprofit that we run too. We almost named it, it's called Wild Green Future, but we almost named it Wowie Frog. And it was going to be an acronym, uh, but we, we didn't go with that because we just couldn't come up with anything for it to stand for. Like those letters were really hard to make something out of. So we wound up dro uh, dropping that idea. But I think, yeah, because Gretel, I mean, there is something that, that is mildly witty that Gretel stands for, but it's also because there's uh, Hansel.dmg is the counterpart to, um, to Gretel. It's Gretel.exe, you see, of course. <laughs> gotcha. I just sent a relevant comic to the chat. It's uh, two scientists and one saying, I made a robot that screams. And it cuts to this anguished, <laughs> this, this anguished robot, like screaming in, in torment. The second scientist says, why? <laughs> the first scientist is just staring there, questioning like every everything he's done up to this point. Why, why he even went about doing that without thinking it through. So, We've uh, we've talked a lot about uh, the museum and crabs and uh, their influence on on you as people and and societies throughout history and and the the whole meme ecosystem. What would you say are your favorite crab species? I th I think for me it would be the snow crab, female snow crab, on account that they can uh, store the sperm of twelve different sexual partners mix it all up inside their um, spermatophores, uh, hold on to it for, I think it's up to two years, uh, and only impregnate themselves and fertilize themselves at the time of their choosing. So it's a promiscuous crab that can choose the best of all the genetic material and, and only uh, burden herself with childbearing, with crab bearing at a time that suits her. So it's a very pro-choice crab, probably my favorite crab. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I mean, so, that is the next. So out of out of all the genetic material from the sperm it's able to select the best is it or, able, or is it maybe just not like maybe a, not necessarily is number, or is it just a numbers game i think it's probably just a numbers game but it's more okay. i suppose my my interest in in the female snow crab is more that they can actively decide whether or not to become a, become a pregnant crab i think that's mm -hmm. that's pretty pretty cool to be honest yeah that's amazing mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I really like the pom pom crab, um, also called the boxer crab or the cheerleader crab. Really, really tiny little little thing. Um, but this crab has worked out that by holding toxic anemones, they can use that as sort of boxing gloves and use those to ward <laughs> off larger animals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is, and this is amazing. Which is kind of like that, I mean, that's tool use really. Like they've worked out yeah. that they can use them as weapons and. What I like about it is that then asks lots of questions about kind of what intelligence is and stuff for, for us humans. We think of higher primates being clever or crows or whatever for being, being intelligent because they use tools, but loads of animals do it, including, you know, in, including crabs. But we're generally unwilling to extend things like intelligence to crabs. Um, but I would, I would like to do that. Sure. <laughs> uh, and, um, uh, and more so than that, they don't just use it as weapons. Um, they've worked out that if they, if they lose one in a fight, say, they can rip the other one in half and they'll regrow into two again, which is not only like tool use, but it's also kind of cloning, really. Like it's a deliberate yeah. reproduction of a, of, a, of a different organism for your own purposes. They don't even, Which, it doesn't even kill the, uh, the anemone for them to No, 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 they can them. just cut it and they can cut it in wow. half and then they regrow into two. Yeah. If That's you lose, crazy. If the pom-pom crab loses one, they just yeah. put it in half and then they get two. Yeah. 
they're gonna they're gonna domesticate this thing they're gonna have their own species <laughs> yeah they have yeah yeah they're gonna turn them into pugs over thousands of years oh, yeah. <laughs> hopefully not pugs but yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man a, a near microscopic anemone pug is <laughs> it's coming it's on the way it's yeah, gonna yeah, happen. Yeah. just give yeah. just give them pom-pom crabs a few thousand years and that's, right. that'll sort it yeah, yeah. Oh, I think we're talking about like in, intelligence and stuff like talking about what is what is intelligence and with the pom-pom pom -pom crab making these clearly deliberate decisions and with even the green shore crab like European even like actively changing its coloration depending on the environment it seems so I think we need to completely rethink what we think intelligence is frankly uh, we've been working like just in UK law reasonably recently crabs have been recognized as sentient like, interesting come on they in we've got a book it's called uh, it's by something someone bell but it's called stork-eyed crustacea of the british isles and that's written in like 1845 or something like that and even there he writes about crabs molting and how that they appear to be in excruciating pain and in somewhere in between that being written and like up until like six months ago people just forgot that crabs felt pain mm -hmm. so i think this people intelligence and crabs really needs to be like yeah addressed yeah people just like your our intuition when you see an animal in pain is that or like a, a crab in pain the one that isn't often that some people don't recognize as being sentient or intelligent in any way is your know, our intuition is like that animal is in pain so that animal can feel things we have a natural um, like an inbuilt empathy for for other animals for all sorts of things right. um but then I think once we started learning more about the human brain, we're like, oh, no, this is what intelligence is. It's what we've got. And because what we've got is different to what they've got, then therefore they're not intelligent. And then now, now that science is kind of slowly moving out of that phase and we're sort of recognising that things very different, whether it's like fungi or like whatever, might have some form of intelligence. Um, I have a very different kind of a brain or brain at all, but still have memories and things like that. Um, then I think we assess all of those things. Um, but the common thread throughout the museum, I suppose, is that all of these, all of these things, whether it's the snow crab uh, being pro-choice or the pom-pom crab being intelligent, uh, is that it's all kind of, it tells us a lot about humans as well. Mm -hmm. Like we can, these are, these things are interesting to us because they're, they're issues that humans have with other humans. That's, it's amazing how many parallels you can draw between human society and, and crabs. Like, uh, it, <laughs> it's, it's surprising at, at first to me, but then it, it makes sense the more I think about it. <laughs> good, good. Yeah, that's, 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 that's what we want to do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, if people want to go to the Crab Museum or if they're uh, like us uh, very far away and want to experience some part of it through the internet, where do they go and what do they do? Well, you can head to www.crabmuseum.org for our uh, kind of professional facing site. Or you can just search at Crab Museum on um, Instagram or uh, Facebook. Uh, for all of you that can't physically make it, we're going to be hopefully building a digital museum soon with, with the accompaniment of Gretel. Um, and if you can make it to the UK, well... Yeah, please do. Let us know that, that you've come from America and we'll, we'll go out and eat chips afterwards or something. Yeah, it'll be nice. Uh, but yeah, we, it's only a small museum and it's, you know, it's, like, it's quite a kind of like friendly thing. Um, but yeah, also the other thing is that we're going to, if you follow us online, um, we're going to start doing um, evening events and things and then we're going to live stream some of them or upload like videos of talks and stuff once, once we can do that.
Fantastic. Thanks for coming on the podcast today. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Cheers. That's our show. Thanks for listening. You can find us and support the show, the meme page, and everything else we make across social media on Patreon at patreon.com slash wildgreenmemes. That's memes with an N. Until next time, I'm Rhett Barker. I'm Curtis Sarkin. I'm Bertie. And I'm Ned. And happy year of the mushroom. Hey, uh, why'd the crab cross the road? Why? It didn't. It used the sidewalk. <laughs> <laughs>